It's only taken me 32 episodes and I've finally bought a webcam. Yay. Oh, well, I thought you were you were looking remarkably crisp and clear. We've definitely got a different angle to you today. Well, what I'm very intrigued about, and it's noticeable straight away, is that we're not out of sync. Ah. Um, you seem perfectly in sync. The video seems perfectly in sync with what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm wondering if this has been my... Crappy little laptop. The problem all along. <laughs> to blame all all along, and I thought, well, uh, because only I was using a separate laptop for the Skype call because I didn't trust Skype not to muck up the recording. Yeah, uh, you know, something goes wrong in Skype, and plus it's like separating out the recording of the audio because we're obviously making a professional audio recording into our whatever you use for recording, yeah. and we've got the audio used for the Skype call all happening at the same time on the same computer. And what you don't want is to accidentally end up with the bad quality audio that you get on Skype getting recorded. Yeah. And again, this is, this is in, in podcasting terms, this is called a double-ended double recording. So we, we each record our own podcast, our own voice locally uh, to a high-quality recording, but we use, in fact, we're using Skype or Hangouts as the mechanism of, of making the phone call so that we get to see each other as well and, and all that good stuff. Yes. Uh, and it's a, it's a way of getting a better quality recording. As I say, I've always had a separate laptop doing the Skype call, and it's um, that laptop then speaks via wireless to my computer, which acts as a hotspot because my computer's physically, oh, this is getting so geeky. And you, and, you, and you wonder why the sound was out of sync. Oh, yeah, but that was the only way I could get a fast <laughs> Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, true, true. I, incidentally, uh, well, you're moving anyway, so it doesn't matter, but um, my son has just got, he's got uh, a flat in Southampton and uh, is just a complete dead zone. There's no fibre in there at all, so he's on a wet piece of string through the through his phone cable. And he's a big gamer and... Yeah, it's been it's been very difficult. It was the one thing that almost put him off buying the place. So glad he glad he did. Glad he's got it and, and everything. Uh, but he's just got a four G home hub thing. I think it's from Vodafone. Uh, Fifty quid a month, genuinely, honestly, unlimited, and it'll upgrade itself to five G when it becomes available. And he's getting stonking speeds really? he's getting something like 100, 170 meg down and about 65 up oh wow I'd, I'd get one of those just to get 65 up i think that's amazing wow so he's 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 just beside himself he's just bought himself a new gaming computer and all these other bits and pieces and he's he's got this yeah proper genuinely fast broadband which of course if he does ever move he can take with him because it's, it's completely self-contained. Yeah, really interesting. And it's a common problem for new builds. Have we run the credits yet? Oh, no, we haven't yet. Uh, we <laughs> haven't, no. We need to, probably ought to do that. Let's do that now. <laughs> At some point. Welcome back to the Measuring Up podcast, the UK's first and possibly favourite commercial joinery podcast. I'm Andy McClellan, and I run the Gosforth Handyman channel and make stuff out of wood and all sorts of other things up in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And I'm Peter Millard, as well as running a virtual 10-minute workshop for YouTube. I also run a small and far from perfectly formed joinery and carpentry and cabinet-making business in the wasteland of West London. Now, every couple of weeks, we get together in our internet cafe to talk about the topics of the day, whatever takes our fancy, or whatever has been suggested by you, our lovely lovely listeners uh, before we get into any of that i keep saying andy uh, uh we wrote this obviously when we first started the podcast and i keep saying our internet cafe when was the last time you actually saw an internet cafe i don't think, um, that, do I think they, they've just sort of they've gone out of business now because now everybody's got a phone well it's more it's i suppose costa it's you know well i, I sorry. suppose so yeah but you, but you used to get you know 
specifically a room full of PCs and you could rent time on them. I'm assuming that doesn't exist. And I think if they if they still exist, it's just somebody doing something a little bit dodgy, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's the only way to get genuinely, honest to goodness, uh, anonymous <laughs> internet access. But there's so many places you can now go, just nip into McDonald's or any coffee shop and you can just get free, free Wi-Fi. I mean, as I say, not wanting to promote Costa, but that, that happens to be my closest place with free free wi-fi in a comfortable environment you know I, I could just sit up camp in there being fed coffee all day on uh, sitting on a sofa nice. and have pretty decent upload speeds and, and this this is this is your your youtube life going forwards clearly well, is- it, it, it's cross <laughs> i haven't done that but it has crossed my mind to do that because sometimes it's nice just to get out of you, you, wherever you currently work, just to get away from distractions, you know. If, if you're, you're, you really are turning into a. a, a I used to work with a guy who called himself a media tart, and, and basically he was like like a rent a quote. You know, he, he did BBC, he done radio. He's a f- former journalist, passed away now, sadly. Um, but uh, he was great fun, a, re- a really you know very entertaining, good company, really entertaining guy to talk to. Uh, and he, he just you know he was a he, he was he was always up for a quote or a chat or, or anything, any kind of radio, TV show, phone a quote in whatever he'd do it. And he'd, you know the, these things pick up a because it's you know proper television and radio or whatever he picks up a hundred two hundred quid a time sort of things for, for this. So that's that that's what he did. He was like a, a media tart, and he just kind of. <laughs> Uh, uh, floated around doing those sorts of things. Uh, you know, was well, long retired, of course. Um, journalism and and uh, TV work being one of the things that you genuinely can grow old in. Just doing kind of freelance um, yes. type work, yeah. or yeah. just picking up bits and pieces. Just picking up bits and pieces from people he knew. Wow. Yeah. Uh, bless him. Uh, he was a, he was great fun and and good company. Uh, as I say, sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago, but. Uh, Yes, yeah, always, always entertaining. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I, I do no, like the idea of getting away from distractions. You know, but I, I'm. What are you like? So you go to a coffee shop full of <laughs> full of people. Oh God! <laughs> I, I just sit there watching other people. What are you like for procrastination? Uh, hang on, I've just got to rearrange my pencils in sharpness order. Be right with you. Um, yeah, I, it's just I, there is almost if, if there's something I need to do. There is almost always a million other things I would rather be doing. Even if it's something I want to do, uh, I would much rather be doing something else if it's something that I actually need to get done. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. terrible. If there's the slightest little thing, you know, if if I know there's a big project that I need to get on with, and, and you know, this is the famous say, saying of, you know, just start it, and the, the sooner you can just start the project yeah. takes longer to get around to doing it than it does to actually get it done sometimes. yeah and uh but every little thing you know especially oh. diy at home oh god <laughs> and it's like oh well i'll i'll start in a minute oh I'll, I'll just do the dishes um and then everything's clear ready for for lunch because you know the, the, actually do you know what just actually a slice of toast would go down well just yeah. before we get into doing the dishes and then uh, or maybe another cup of coffee and yeah then, just another cup of coffee and then oh I'd, i did need to uh, rearrange the coats on the coat rack i'll just quickly do yeah. that and uh, now size or color order or texture well it tends um, to be by height in our house so. oh, okay yeah fair enough so <laughs> just every little thing that i can find to to distract me from doing actual work i'm terrible and when you don't have those distractions, where even if you're in a coffee shop getting sur- surrounded by people chatting and stuff, but that just becomes kind of white noise. But there's nothing you can do 
There's no, it's not like you're going to go and do their dishes. Yeah, you can't rearrange the people. Excuse me, could you just move over yeah, there or something? Yeah, yeah. Just because I'm not quite, you know, <laughs> arrange the customers in height order. That wouldn't go down too well. I don't know if you've listened to the Hello Internet podcast at all, but CGP Gray, not recently. CGP Gray on, on there, what he actually does, I, I think, if, if I remember rightly, is that he sometimes will book himself in a hotel in Amsterdam just to get – so he'll travel to a different country <laughs> – to get so far away from, and he he won't go out. He doesn't visit the place or anything, and and it's just to get away from distractions as far as possible. And he'll lock himself in a hotel room when he's got to get a, a script done for for whatever he's working on or a project, and he'll just lock himself away for two or three days. It's the whole the whole monk's cell, isn't it? The yeah. Um, what's his name? Jerry Pornell, Chaos Man. I used to uh, one of the original blogs going out. Uh, had a had a monk's cell, basically a writing cell, a writing cell, a, a writing room where you know no a, a computer in there to write on, but no internet, no nothing. You do all your research outside, and then you sit there and you write the two thousand words or whatever yeah. it is you need to do. So no distractions. And-, and there's a lot to be, you know, if you're in a hotel, even if you just book yourself into a cheapy travel lodge or something. But but and then what you end up doing is obviously all of your washing's getting taken care of you yeah, know your yes. phone people, room people bring you food yeah people bring you food you literally you, do, you don't need to move every, every single distraction is removed and you can just completely 100 percent focus and there's a there's a few people i've heard using this technique when they want to get something real i mean it's maybe going a little bit to extremes a little yourself bit. into a hotel <laughs> In Amsterdam, you can have all kinds of things set to your room in Amsterdam, I'm told. Apparently. and uh, But it could be as simple as just driving off into the countryside and just sitting in your truck for... But again, you'll probably get distracted polishing the truck or something. That's our word. Yeah, yeah. But it's just removing all those distractions from your, from your life. How did we get onto that? Oh, uh, goodness, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to start podcasting from Costa. <laughs> Uh, so we're recording this uh, a little bit earlier than than we normally would because we're we're both out being in fact we're going to meet this week aren't we uh, again for only the second time we're, we're going to we have are. a face-to-face meetup second time. Uh, out being media tarts ourselves at uh at a sort of conference thing so yeah uh, yeah looking forward to that it's uh it's not a public thing either, which is a, um, no, a bit, invitation, bit, only. invitation only, which is quite exciting, isn't it? But yeah, so there's very. a few people we know are, are going. and A couple uh, of people we know, a couple of people I know of, a couple of folks I saw but never quite managed to get to speak to at Maker Central, so fingers crossed we'll have a minute just to uh, say hi. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to it. I'm very excited about that. I don't know if we're allowed to say the name of it. I, we're probably... Maybe if we don't today, but we'll check if we're allowed to. The podcast will be out. It'll be out by the time. <laughs> it's it... going to be out for a yeah, couple yeah. of weeks. So uh, it'll be long gone. So it's the uh, XYZ Summit, I believe. It's, it's on Twitter, isn't it? So it's it's, on, uh, it's, Yeah, there they are. It's not that secret. No, I don't think so. It'll be interesting to have some feedback on the next show to see how that all went. I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very, very interesting. Of course, I, as a true professional, I said that I can only go on the Thursday for the one day because uh, we're recording a podcast on the Friday and then and then you you check yourself into a travel lodge or whatever and say no I'm going for the whole the whole three day shindig we're doing the whitewater rafting and the dinner and the, all the, all those other things I'm going rock climbing I've got something else <laughs> happening on the Friday so uh, I could have recorded the podcast but I've got to be back in London from about midday so I can only pop in for the for the uh, one day on the Thursday yeah. but uh, it should be it's got a really interesting 
lineup. So it should be. Yeah, it's very inside baseball YouTube conference where you know we're talking about everything from yeah what do, what do they call it factual entertainment i think is the uh slightly clunky buzzword um so you know we know we know what they mean by that so yeah looking forward to it i am as well i am as well we shall feed back next time and our brains will be filled with new ideas for where, where to take youtube or possibly yes. just knock the whole thing on the head well yeah that's always <laughs> always an option um I, I did well because we're recording this a little bit early uh we we've had a little bit of feedback literally the the episode one of season four episode 31 has literally just launched so we've got had a little bit of feedback on that uh but not a huge amount i just wanted to to go back to something that we spoke about in the last uh in the first show uh where we were talking about uh, you know youtube as a business and the different methods of of making it into a business uh, I, I mentioned this guy that my dad had spoken of where he's doing a, a topical daily vlog kind of thing about a popular subject and he's making good money at that uh and it occurred to me as well and it did take a little while for me to process the thought i, I got a comment uh and Stay with me. I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I got a comment on one of my videos from a guy, um, Muzamil Khan. Thank you very much, Muzamil. Uh, he said, uh, thank you for explaining so well and putting effort to show the downside of the options. I was wondering and looking for answers for the technique to use for the doors, and your one video answered them all. Um, that was on video number 19. I've just posted 357 or something. So the point of this slight ramble is that what we're doing is the very opposite of what the this other guy was doing doing daily vlogs on a popular subject we're building a back catalog of useful videos which will have much more relevance over time because we care about the quality of the stuff that we're doing we try and explain things clearly and carefully even the old videos are still useful and still relevant my first video, the one about Shaker-style panel doors, is still one of the most watched videos I've done. So maybe that's telling me something. <laughs> I should be going back to <laughs> shooting things on my phone and, uh, <laughs> and keeping them to around about five minutes. Sorry? Was that done on your phone? Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. Wow. And not, and not the fancy new phones. That was the phone from you know, three years ago. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was one of the first videos that I'd... I'd seen of yours, I think. Um, it's it's always interesting looking back at how you discovered a channel, or um, you know how yeah. you got into a particular topic. And there's a, a lawyer guy that I follow called Viva Fry, um, and he he does kind of these things called vlogs, uh, spelled V L A W G. So it's a law oh, vlog, yes. basically. Vlog. So yeah. shout out to Viva Fry, great channel, and he explained things. He did the Brexit one. You, he's done one on Brexit, hasn't he? He did do one on Brexit. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. You retweeted it or something. I, yes. I watched it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very Canadian. Yeah. Yes, he's Quebec, I think. And uh, brilliant channel explains a number of because I find the law side of things very interesting, mainly from the point of view of you know writing contracts and getting. A, I've been involved in so many different contracts over the years and yes, commercial course. contracts and sponsorship contra- contracts. So you eventually start to get drawn and dr- more and more into that, especially if you are then dealing with lawyers and to to help you draft up legal terms. And there's there's certain stuff where it's like, why do they do it like yeah, that? Sure. And, and his channel explains certain topics very succinctly and, and um, in an easy-to-understand way. And I just noticed that he put up, obviously, me coming from a drumming background, Yeah, there was a viral video 
um, of a street drummer somewhere. I can't remember where, but like, you know, the drummers who just drum on upside down pots and yeah, yeah. buckets and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And there was a viral video that I saw years ago of this guy doing this and it had millions of views and stuff. And, uh, I only just noticed today it popped up in my feed and it was shot. It, it was by Viva Fry. It was on his channel. Ah, interesting. Because he used to, I don't know if he still does, but he used to specifically go out to make viral type content. He's, he's mentioned on, on his channel that that was part of his business model is that he would sometimes make videos yeah. just with the view of that video. Go, You know, I'm not saying cats with cucumbers, but, that classic cat with cucumber type video that you you know it's going to do well. Yeah. But yeah, great great channel worth checking them out. If uh, I'll, we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, but I just thought it was bizarre. It's like oh, there's a video that I saw yeah. three or four years ago when I was doing that, and I was watching that, thinking to myself, oh, I wish I could get that many views for a drumming video on my channel. And and then suddenly you you revisit it, and it's a creator that you're now following. And there's a whole backstory to why it was filmed in the first place, and yeah, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. So, what have you been up to? What what's uh... ah? Well, since we last spoke, not not that much, to be honest, because <laughs> we we spoke fairly recently. Um, I'm I'm plowing through these flipping wardrobes, uh, and I've got to be honest, um, I I am painting them now, and I'm using a roller. Uh, I decided to give that a try rather than set the spray booth up uh, for, for two reasons. Uh, partly uh, I watched a, a Joey Chalk, King Post Timberworks, a friend of the show, of course, uh, one of his videos, and he actually rollers the primer on, uh, then denibs it and then sprays the top coats on, which is interesting. All right. I'm not sure why he does that, but that's what he, that's the technique that he does. Uh, so I thought I'd give that a try. And uh, um, I'd, I needed to paint a couple of little panels to to rub the paint off them, basically, because I did a sander video recently. I wanted to show the the scratch pattern that they produce, the, the sanding pattern. And I, it was only a small couple of pieces of MDS, so I rolled those. And actually, it's quite nice. It was all contained, you know, no yeah. no overspray, no nothing. It was just a roller and a tray, and you get that done. So I thought, well, you know, I'd give that a try, give that a whirl. And uh, what a nightmare, geez. <laughs> <laughs> So slow and so patchy. Oh, that's interesting. It is absolutely contained. There's, you know, they can't deny it. And it is very easy to do both sides of the thing at the same time. But my goodness, three and a half, four hours to, to roller all this stuff. The trouble is now I've started down that road. I can't really, <laughs> can't really go into spring, you know. Because uh, I'd started rolling the top coat as well. I thought, oh, well, that went down reasonably well. Oh. Got the top coat. It's like, oh man. So spraying still wins over rollering. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it was it was a worthwhile experiment, and uh, it has me. It will have me running, screaming, and kicking back to uh, back to spraying. I think because it was uh, it was taking a long, long time. I, I, again, painted stuff is one of those things that I'm kind of stepping gently away from. I don't really want to get involved in that much more going forwards because it's too disruptive in a small workspace as, as we've we've said before and as we've seen uh trying to yeah, it just ties the whole workshop up and part of the reason of, i wanted to give the rolling a try was so that i could actually do it stick it all in the other room and then carry on with a few other bits and pieces whilst that's drying whereas you can't really do that when the main workshop is set up as a spray booth uh, so yes, uh, yeah, you know, interesting experiment. But uh, we'll we'll 
we'll see about whether or not that stays uh, as an option. So now that you've been, obviously, you've been doing spraying for for quite a long time now. How's it, two two years? Yeah, uh, yeah, or so. What is your general opinion between the ultra cheap sprayer that you got and uh, the Ultramax? What what uh, is the Ultramax worth? The because it's about ten times the price or something, isn't it? Or yeah, twenty probably. Um, yeah, I think the the very cheap little HVLP sprayer was about thirty quid, and the Graco was about six hundred. Um, uh, the the Graco is terrific, but having used it for you know quite a while, it is a bit of a blunt instrument. Uh, fantastic if you're if all you want to do is spray a flat panel. It is it is good at that. Puts a lot of paint out, and it'll cover things quickly. It's not the the machine to use if there's any sort of finesse involved, any time where you're going around, you know, different uh, three dimensional those those times when I was painting the tables, for example, going round those legs in you know each side without getting vastly too much overspray on the panels that you've already painted was very difficult, uh, and it's it's not the it's not the tool for that job, I don't think. Um, I think it is. If if I was doing that, uh, if I was doing more of that, I think I'd definitely be looking at some kind of HVLP because it puts out too much paint. Or yeah, it puts out a lot of paint. Throws out an awful lot of paint. It's it's wonderful, and it did absolutely what I needed it to do, the job that I bought it for. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that's as easy to clean down. Uh, the flex liner cups are the work of genius. Uh, there's nothing else quite like that on the market. Uh, it's it's really really clever and well thought out system, but it's a fairly blunt instrument as a sprayer. Um, yeah, you know if you it'll if you need to spray a door in thirty seconds, it'll do that all day long. It's absolutely fantastic for that sort of work, but it's not for spraying entire rooms because the pump does have a a finite lifespan. Uh, again, had I known, uh, I asked Graco about this before I bought it, and they said, "Oh no, we can't. We can't possibly say how long the pump lasts." Now they're they're actually quoting two hundred liters, which isn't much at all for a, a two hundred quid pump. Uh, on the other hand, it's a it's a it's a user replaceable part. It's a spare, you know, it's a consumable almost, but you do need to factor that in. So you need to be using it on on commercial work. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I think. Uh, it, Again, because I don't have water and waste in the workshop, uh, thinning stuff down and cleaning down an HVLP between every spraying session is a bit of a non-starter. Uh, but I would, you would have to, I would have to be thinking long and hard about whether I wanted to do spraying in those circumstances. But I think if I, if it was the option, if I did want to get into spraying, the finer quality. Uh, then either either HVLP or airless air assisted they call it, which is airless but more more convoluted. It gives you a bit more control over the over the amount of actual spray that comes out. Um, yes, then them's my basic thoughts. Anyway, th- I mean the thirty quid HVLP is fantastic for the money if you've just got to spray a couple of panels. If you're if you're spraying curious and you want to give spraying a try. Uh, then it's a fantastic way to get into it. It's a really clever way and incredibly cheap. And it does does the job and yeah, you know, decent finish and yeah, yeah, better better than roller ring, faster, but a bit more finicky, bit more effort to set up. 
Uh, I had a few a few people after the spraying videos that I'd done saying, "Oh, this is rubbish! I I bought one of these and tried to spray my you know garage with it, and it was well, not really the tool for the job. You know, it puts out a very fine mist of paint over a yeah, yeah. relatively small area. It's not really the sort of thing to to be spraying emulsion onto a wall because you've got to thin it down so much. You'll end up doing three or four coats. Uh, so yeah, you know, horses of course is tools for the job. Um, uh, for for the money, they're amazing. Uh, I don't. I've, I haven't really explored the middle ground because obviously that's a very cheap HVLP system. There are others around about the hundred pound mark, which I know know through Twitter that a couple of people have gotten the scene. Very happy with it, so it might be worth exploring those. But again, I don't. I don't really want to get into the whole spraying thing anymore. Much like doing more tracks or videos, I think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all all sprayed out for now. <laughs> oh, well, I think you've done your fair share of spray videos. You know that there, there, there can't be many people, or certainly woodworkers, to have gone into it in the depth that you've gone into it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, I, I've still been toying with the idea of just getting a, a cheapy one to hook onto my compressor and yeah. HLP and, and see how, how well my compressor can handle it. I don't think yes. it's going to kick out enough Yeah, you need to. It needs to put out a a lot of air, generally speaking, and consistently to make those work. You you tend to need a fairly hefty compressor and and airflow. Yeah, it's something. It's always been on the the back of my mind to try and just pick up a cheapy gun. But I've got so much stuff kicking about my workshop where I've bought it, and then I've thought I'll make a quick video about that, and then it's just honestly, I've got stuff just sitting in boxes. That that hasn't even been open. Yeah, me too. I, in fact, I've 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 gone to that gone to that stage where I've started putting it away. Yeah. now, so I'll never see it again. <laughs> I know it's there. I know it's in a box and it's under the bench, but you know it's out of sight, out of mind, sort of thing. It always makes me laugh. Actually, we I know we 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 do get we do get a few people commenting about stuff that you know either has been given to us or supplied to us for review or, or whatever else. And oh, you—they've bought you for the price of a you know router or whatever else. Well, first of all, you know you don't know us very well, and secondly, yeah, they're they're few and far between. The the amount of stuff that certainly I've bought, and I'm sure you have too, that just never sees the light of day. I've got sort of little sharpening things to try out, and it's and it's again, it's in a sustainer under the bench, ready to be put into a video sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just haven't got around to it yet. It's uh, yeah, you know. And, and there's there's an awful lot of those little fifty quid units that uh, I've bought for, but not used yet. It's tricky getting that uh, that balance. Um, can we have a quick chat about price conditioning? Price conditioning, which uh, Ooh, is that like air conditioning? It's a little bit like air conditioning, but okay, price related. All right. And uh, so the whole topic of price conditioning is we obviously talk on this podcast a lot about making sure that you're charging enough to your customers so that you can actually have a sustainable business that's going to stay around longer than one or two years before you go bust absolutely and uh, a lot of the stuff that we read in the comments is related to either people who have successful businesses who are charging enough and also people who aren't charging enough and they're really struggling to make ends meet and it's a very simple equation to to kind of work that out and we've both talked about it on on our channels and one of the um topics that um has come up from time to time is price conditioning whereby uh, effectively you just set an expectation of what the price is going to be from square one yeah you know yeah and i had a very interesting personal experience with price conditioning when i bought this little webcam for the the computer okay and i thought it was just a perfect 
example of, you know, how the mind works and, you know, trying to get yourself into this mindset when you're dealing with your own customers of how their mind works at the time of making a purchase. Yeah. And when I was going to buy this little webcam and it's just a little Logitech thing, and I, I haven't looked into buying webcams for, for a long time, you know. Most no, stuff, sure, they tend to come in, come built in these days, don't they? Yeah, so, yeah. Th- most stuff's built in, but this is on my, my big computer, so I needed a, a separate external one. Yeah. And I, I have literally no idea how much they cost, and it could have been £10, it could have been £200. I, 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 I had a vague idea it would be somewhere in between those two figures, but yep. I didn't really know. I was quite expecting a webcam to be costing for a decent one, 60 or 70 quid or some or something like that. And so I started researching it. And of course, on Amazon, millions of webcams immediately pop up for like 10 quid yeah. and stuff. And then it's like, okay, well, we'll try like the big box stores because I wanted to pick one up straight away. I didn't have time to wait for it to be delivered. So I, I literally wanted to go out to PC World yesterday and I'm, I'm dropping loads of names here. Yeah. And <laughs> I wanted to go out to a generic computer shop yesterday and pick one up. And, uh, and so I thought, well, let's see what they've got in stock. And sure enough, they had this one for 60 or 70 quid. And I thought, oh, well, that looks perfect. I'm just about to click on the reserve button to go and pick it up. Yeah. And then I noticed another one for 20 quid. Yeah. Exactly the same brand. The 20 quid one was like 720p instead of 1080. And it's like, where well, do I really need it to be full HD? And it's like, well, it's only 20 quid. And then from that point onwards, I couldn't get it out of my head that the 60 quid one was a ripoff. Yeah. And it's like, well, if if this other one's only 20 quid, I mean, they're not going to have to change much in the circuitry to make it full HD, surely. No. And uh, so it's three times the price. That's shocking. And then... Now, I, if it was 4K, we could, you know, we would be talking. Yeah, yeah. And, and as it <laughs> happened, I went to the shop. They didn't have the 20 quid one in stock. They only had the 60 quid one. And it was like, oh, I reluctantly bought it. And I connected it all up and everything. And it's been brilliant. Worked first time, didn't even have to install any drivers or software or anything, just absolutely great. And then subsequently, I went and had a look at some of the reviews of the 20 quid one. I nearly bored, um, and a lot of people having problems with it, you know, mm. the video quality just being a bit shoddy and everything. Yeah. And I just thought it was one of those examples of had I never known that the 20 quid option was even there, I would have, wouldn't have batted an eyelid spending 60 quid on a webcam i think that's quite cheap you know you spend 400 yeah, yeah. 500 quid on a gopro so uh, uh, 50 or 60 quid on a webcam seems reasonable enough but it's only because you then someone's come in and undercut them <laughs> you know uh, 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 <laughs> themselves <laughs> th- themselves have undercut them on, on this example but you know it's only because you're suddenly seeing loads of people selling them ultra cheap that, that you then automatically get into that mindset of i'm being ripped off here and it's like, yeah. actually, I'm not being ripped off. It's actually a much, much better product. And it's kind of trying to get customers into that frame of mind of just explaining that this is what the price is going to be. This is your ballpark price. There are cheaper ways of doing it, but it will be substantially inferior. You will have problems. You, you'll not have comeback. You'll not have any form of, you know, uh, guarantee on it. You know, if something, a door yeah. drops off, 
after six months or something. They've probably gone out of business and they're certainly not going to be making an effort to come back to your house to sort it out for you for free. No, indeed. Um, and I don't know, have you, have you ever tried price conditioning with customers to try and... Well, I, I, I have guide prices on my website. Um, uh, again, it, because it's one of those things that everybody wants to know. Roughly how much will this cost? I put a roughly how much that will cost uh, option against pictures of the of the product to show roughly what you get. You know, I also say uh, this product, you know, if you want the nice things, upgrade to shaker style doors, they all come with soft close hinges and all that sort of stuff. But if you want all the, all the nicer bits and pieces, then the cost will inevitably rise. And if you want to add drawers and that sort of thing, then, you know, I'm talking specifically about a wardrobe, say, then it's, it's, quite likely that the price that the base price will actually double uh and in fact um for, for most of the time that's worked quite well and only a couple of times where somebody has just you know seen the the headline bottom line price and expects to get a wardrobe with a uh, double wardrobe with a set of drawers attached for for that base price and they're, they're just not not reading and they're not listening uh, which is, you know, <laughs> a problem amongst uh, amongst many people these days. Certainly, many of the people who <laughs> pop up and comment in our videos uh, don't seem to watch or listen, probably. Uh, but in terms it's of pricing... Watch the whole video and yeah. then comment. <laughs> yeah, but in terms of pricing, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I do. I tend, tend to give people a ballpark idea of cost, whether that's uh, very roughly at a price per metre or, as I say, just a, a generic double wardrobe with top box and you know upgrades to it will cost you know x amount yeah what about yourself are you you know because you i mean the last big one that you did was the oak alcove units and things yeah and i remember you you said they wanted the whole thing in in solid oak originally uh yes uh did they yeah that's right um they want even the painted parts of it they they potentially wanted the whole thing to be oak and Mm. uh and uh, to be fair i think uh, they were happy to pay for that i was i I said you know it'll be a lot more expensive going down that route but they had no clue what alcove units would cost you know and they they had no preconceived ideas of what they should be paying similar to the webcam example they had no idea whether it was going to be one thousand pounds or five thousand pounds and i I can very much sympathize with you know that that particular family had already had an extension done on the house They they did like a full loft conversion and they had ranges of quotes for getting that work done from i think around thirty-five thousand pounds up to a hundred thousand pounds plus. Wow! For exactly the same job. And where where do you even start with a range of quotes like that? Exactly. So how do you know the customer has no clue? Um, all they're doing is going by the the made up reviews that the companies have, have got. And <laughs> not that we're being cynical about that, really. But... No, not at all. But yeah, the the more I'm hearing about this and reading about this, it, it's just yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Yeah, and and they and they were asking me, you know, what, what's a reasonable price? And I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, I don't shy away from the more expensive ones if it looks like it's going to be a, a decent job that they're going to be doing. And they ended up going for not the ultra cheapest, but mm. not far off 
the ultra cheapest, and I think it was like you know the forty five grand mark or thereabouts. Yeah. And it was very interesting the problems that they started running into, like really dodgy stuff, whereby obviously they had the contract with this building firm who was supposed to be doing the whole project for them, and then they would start getting bills from different tradesmen halfway through the job, or yeah, you're going to pay the joiners separately. You're going to pay the plumber separately. Uh, this needs to be made out to limited company B. And they, they had all of these little things in place to keep themselves under the VAT threshold so that they didn't have to charge VAT. Yeah. And, of course, you know, well, okay, there you go. There, You're 20% cheaper straight away mm. if you're using all these little schemes. The, the, the bigger companies obviously were charging VAT and weren't fiddling things around this yeah but but the all of the lower quotes were using all of these dodgy little side deals and things and uh, and it's really it's very unfair for the companies who are trying to compete with these companies because you you don't have a contract with a joiner no. uh, you don't know who that person is you've got the contract with the the builder the and the builder firm. certainly yeah. didn't make it clear from square one oh by the way yes it's going to be 45 grand but that means you're going to be Building, billing out separately to the joiner, the plumber, the the roofer, you know, and but it was all these, and as I say, not just that, but separate limited companies for the same business with more or less the same name, but just like a number two after it and stuff, and it yeah. was all done just to keep them under the VAT threshold, just to keep them under the VAT threshold. Uh, that's that's yeah. I, I mean, the we can see where they're coming from because obviously, if you're doing building works where the total cost is you know forty odd thousand pounds or even even thirty odd thousand you start adding twenty percent onto that which which you don't see you're just the unpaid tax collector passing that money on to the exchequer. You can see why they might want to get themselves under the threshold um, but you know what's going to happen here and i I put money on it we'll see what happens if the podcast's still going in five years' time we'll come back to this episode okay because of companies like this fiddling it. They'll just get rid of the VAT threshold. Yeah, they'll they'll abolish it because especially once. So so nobody will charge VAT. Everyone no? will charge. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, okay. oh yeah. We'll just abolish VAT. <laughs> well, hold on. They've already talked about abolishing VAT, haven't they? Did they and coming? But that'll just turn. Uh, into, they have. They've they've talked. They've talked more about uh, about uh, abolishing the VAT threshold. Yeah, about about make, making everybody become a VAT uh, a VAT registered business. I was sure I saw something in a. Because obviously elections are getting discussed in uh, in the UK at the minute, so all the uh, unreal, unrealistic manifesto pledges are, 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 are coming <laughs> I think up. we call them lies. Yes, that, that's the ones. And I'm, I'm sure I saw one of them where they said they were going to abolish VAT completely. I don't know how they're going to... I, I need to research that, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, that, that's a one to check. Anyway, but yes, I've definitely heard it where... And, and obviously... The VAT threshold is there to help small businesses get off the ground, and it, and it does yeah. give you that advantage of being a bit cheaper when you're first starting out, and then once the business has grown to a certain level, then you start charging VAT and you become an unpaid tax collector. And um, But plenty other countries have – we have one of the highest VAT thresholds in, in the EU. Mm, yes. And, uh, I mean, for example, Greece, I think, is only €10,000, the, the VAT threshold, if I, if I remember correctly. 
Um, yeah, we've been, so, yeah, we've been to Greece, haven't we? Yeah, but the, well, yeah. <laughs> big, big cash economy in Greece, let's just put it they, that way. They don't pay the tax in the first place, exactly. So, <laughs> um, But you've got this vast array of VAT thresholds that, that are in use, but we've yeah. got one of the highest ones. And if the government think that they're missing out on a significant chunk of, of VAT, they'll they'll just get rid of the threshold, especially once making tax digital, which is a, another whole topic for another day, because I, I'll get I'll get on my high horse about whether or not you should be giving the government direct access to your computer. <laughs> but uh, the, the whole making tax digital thing is going to take all of the admin burden away on the government side, it doesn't change the admin burden for you, but it makes life a lot easier on the government side where they're not having to read paper returns anymore and they're not having to deal with, they don't have to develop the systems yep. to, to to handle the VAT returns being done manually and stuff. It's all just click of a button. So the thing that worries me is the more abuse the VAT threshold gets, it would be relatively easy for the government to just right, say, throw, well, throw their hands up and say, yep, everybody, everybody everyone pays, pays VAT. Yeah, there are plenty of countries where I think it works like that. I don't know. Let us know mm. in the uh, – where do we let people know? Let us know via Twitter and and Instagram, uh, Measuring Up PC on Twitter, or drop us a note via our website to let us know how VAT thresholds or whatever it is in your country – I think it's similar to GST in the in the US, isn't it? it it's vaguely – Yeah, I think so. General, general sales tax, it's a, it's a, uh, a, uh, a tax that's added onto purchases, which goes directly to government for, for no good reason, as far it's as I can tell. Extra than, money. <laughs> extra money for politicians. Extra money. So – yeah, how does it work in your part of the world? Is is the threshold just something that you would dream of having, or or do you think having a threshold would actually massively complicate the way things are done? Maybe you have no threshold at the moment, and everyone pays VAT, and maybe you think everything's just mm-hmm. dandy. Don't know. I don't know. There, there's a topic. So, how did we get onto that? I don't know. Uh, we did. Uh, we obviously, we're. we're recording this a little bit early and we have had a little bit of feedback on uh, show one uh we had some great feedback obviously uh, contact uh, form at measuring is a good way to to reach out to us or, or indeed uh all the other methods of of reaching out to us through twitter or instagram we also got a message uh, through patreon actually from one of our lovely uh, patreon supporters you can support the show at patreon.com forward slash measuring up podcast uh, ben Got hold of us on Patreon to say, good to have you both back. As a one-man band, it's always a treat to have some light-minded ramblings playing through my headphones to drown out the sound of the tracks. So uh, good luck with your leap into the unknown, Andy. Uh, it says, as a dad of five weeks, congratulations, Ben. Uh, as a dad of a five-week-old, I would love nothing more than to find a small income that let me make my own hours without the expenses involved in running a woodworking business. You might not be money-rich, but you'll most certainly be time-rich. Um, <laughs> I think the, uh, the five-week-old might have different uh, different ideas about the the amount of uh, time they'll be taking up but uh, yes uh, it's a very good point thank you ben for for that that's a very kind comment with a five year five week old i'd be making an active effort to get out of the house <laughs> uh, absolutely i think i can't think of anything else that would have me sort of running to the door faster than a five week old my uh, our neighbors <laughs> here have just a new baby so uh, yes it's uh <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to yeah. hear them briefly. We, we were having the chat, here, me and Mrs. Mack were having the chat about uh, where the kids were saying, like, you know, 
it comes up in conversations of young teenagers and and uh, tweens mm. of uh, oh would you have another baby and all this sort of thing and it's like you know you guys are lovely but we just we wouldn't we wouldn't go back to yeah, the beginning have. again of <laughs> nappies and endless screaming and being sleep deprived and all that but and it does raise the interesting question of why do you even have two or you know why do you do it again and and we, we, you do blank out a huge amount of the the really hard stage of it which is probably zero to yeah three i would say zero to, to three four you know it, it's so gradual when when they start becoming little people and obviously yeah, they're much more much more interesting then aren't they? yes but it, and and every stage of it is obviously beautiful and of course and, but it, but it's it is hard. It's very, it is. very hard at the early stages. So uh, best of luck, Ben. That's all I can say. Get, get your sleep when you can. Much like having a YouTube channel, it's rewarding in every possible way except financially. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah. But uh, what else have, has been happening? I've been working on um, a big video that I'm halfway through filming at the minute. Um, oh, it, it should be out by the time this podcasts. <laughs> Out, but at the rate I'm going with it, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm doing a big test Tuesday video at the minute on different types of cork. Cork? Cork, as in flexible filler. Oh, cork. gotcha. Cork. Yep, got it. I was going to say, how many types of cork are there? There's like, cork. Oh, no, no, no. One no, that no, comes no. out of a wine bottle and wine cork, stuff no. that comes in sheets. But, you know. Flexible filler cork. And, uh, yeah, it's taking best part of a, a week to film all this, and I'm just really hoping it doesn't bomb as much as my... How to listen a podcast video has bombed, which I always knew that would be, you know, I think I might have even said it, you know, you go slightly off topic and deviate from what the channel's about and YouTube just doesn't recommend the video yeah. to anyone. And uh, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, you know, part, part of the problem that we have, of course, is that we, if you'd want to try and grow a channel, then you need to appeal to people who aren't already subscribed. And one of the ways of doing that is to, is to go slightly off topic and do something a little different. And, uh, yeah, when that happens, YouTube, uh, uh, the algorithm tends not to like it very much. Yes. It, uh, the, the way the YouTube algorithm works at the minute in, um, version, 4,823 of the algorithm that we're on at the minute. It's only a beta there. It is just a beta. And it, it is very much focused on, intelligently pushing your content to people who already watch similar content. So it analyzes your video, yeah. works out from the thumbnail and the title and um, recognition of what your, you know, voice recognition of what you're saying in the video. I mean, bear in mind that YouTube automatically transcribes all of the speech in a video into captions you know if you switch captions on on a video you, that's not captions we've typed in that's youtube working it out on the fly a source of some entertainment uh, i'm told yes especially <laughs> with a geordie accent and um all of that information get, kind of gets plowed into the youtube ai and it works out from that what the video is about and then it pushes your video out to people who have already watched vid videos about that thing yeah so if you start making videos about stuff that's off topic, it starts to get very confused because it doesn't know who to 
push the video out to, and it tends to just not push it out to anyone. So, so it just doesn't, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm hoping this Cork one will be a little bit more on topic from our channel, but um, it's just been a, a mammoth task to, to film it. Not least of which, because you've got to wait for them all to dry, haven't you? That's literally what I'm doing <laughs> at the minute. Hold on, let me point the webcam over if you can you see on the chair oh nice tester yeah the test pieces test are, sofa. Are, yeah whatever that's a nice dark sofa to put those <laughs> white cork tests on there. well I, I need to give them another coat of paint after this so um that that'll be what i'm doing shortly but i, I thought you know to, to let the cork dry properly i can't leave it to dry in my workshop because my workshop's too cold and I thought, and plus you'll get people in the comments say, oh, you should have brought it into the house because it's not a proper test if it's not in a centrally heated house. So I thought, yeah, fair point. I'll bring everything into the house. It can dry in a centrally heated room um, and we'll we'll check it. And I'm checking it after 24 hours. And uh, sorry, I'm, I'm doing a paint test after one hour and then mm. another paint test after 24 hours and comparing... Um, how how the end result's going to look because you've obviously got corks that claim to be instantly overpaintable and mm. I've never had much success with that and I always found that the paint cracks. Uh, and... the, the the video will be the video will be out by the time this podcast comes out. Yes, yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you got the Dunlop one in there? No, I haven't. No, I've got seven different ones. Yeah. But... It's really good. It's the only one I've used that actually won't won't crack. You can, it's overpaintable and it's not doesn't won't crack or yellow or fade. Dunlop, very flexible. Dunlop, yeah. As in, who make tires? Yep. Same company. Yep. I've literally never seen that. Where do you get that? Uh, you've got to dig it out a bit. Uh, you can't get it at Tool Station or Scrifix or any of the usual suspects. But some of the decorating suppliers have it. Ah, oh, okay. I've, I've tried to just stick to ones that you can get from the big box stores and things too, because it's more yeah. DIY type. Thing. Yeah. It's, oh, if if you know in your future there's any caulking to do, uh, it's definitely worth searching out. It's, it's good stuff. I might do a follow up on because there'll be a lot of people comment saying why didn't you test this and why didn't you test that and it's like where well, you know eventually you've got to narrow it down. Um, I mean, it's taken a long, long enough time just to test seven different big brands, <laughs> and um, vastly ranging in price as well. And and eventually, you've just got to kind of say, right, these are the ones I'm going to go for. Of course. And I ran a thing on my channel a while ago saying, do you have any preferences for ones that you'd like us to test? And I think I included some of the suggestions from that. But um, we we shall see. So I'm waiting on those to dry. Give them another coat of paint and need to film the follow-up and the results, and then it's like, how do you fairly score such a subjective thing as a look of cork when it's dry? Well, it's almost an impossible task, isn't it? Because whatever you do, there will be complaints about the process and the methodology and absolutely everything uh, <laughs> from the drying times to the how you squeezed it out to how you overpainted it, what you overpainted it with. Yeah, so 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 many variables in that one. It is. It's it's a huge amount, but um, I mean, it's a lot of these tests are partly out of my own nosiness. I, I tend yes, to only te- I, I tend to only test things where it's like, uh, which is the best, you know? Because you end up with all these different brands lying around the workshop and stuff, and it's like, well, I might as well hone in on the one that that does actually do the job quite well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it'll it'll yeah. be interesting from my own perspective and. Hopefully it can be of, of some use to people. But um, so, yeah, that's what I've been working on video-wise. Have, have you got any? Uh, I've got, uh, what am I doing? I've got uh, a video coming out. I'm, I, I've been having a play with, uh, when I did my concealed hinges jig, I, I've, 
I bought a long time ago, but never got around to using the Craig concealed hinge jig. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a drill press set up pretty much dedicated to doing concealed hinges. So I tend to use that, but on the, the current ugly wardrobe job, I've got uh, the, the upper doors are just flush 18 mil flat slab doors. So because the drill press is geared up for doing 22 mil doors, I've got to either pack those up. Anyway, I thought I'd give the, the Craig Jigger a, a try on this and do a little video about that as well. It's, it's, um, it's good in parts, let's just say. It's got a few, it's out on Friday actually, so there's a few bit of weirdness with it. It's one of those things where the jig itself works fine, drills, you know, a nice hole to more or less the right position against the edge of the door. Uh, I'd, I'd have liked a little bit more adjustment on it, but yeah, it is what it is. But it's got a couple of uh, in the jig, obviously it's got a main central hole and there's the, the two little fixing holes, uh, for the, to put the screws in. So you screw the, the hinge down and it's the, the two holes are really skinny. They're too small to get an awl in there. Uh, so you've got to use a two mil drill bit. So, you know, if you, if you were doing these and these are, these are just aimed at hobby, hobby woodworkers rather than guys in the trade, cause it's a, a relatively cheap, you know, 30 quid jig um so you've got you know if you've only got the one drill you've got to take the the big bit out and then you've got to put a skinny bit in just to drill the two holes but when you do that the holes don't line up to any of the blum hinges that i've got Eh? uh yeah they they're out of whack and in fact i've i've put a you know I've done this so many because you do that and you think, oh my god, I must have, I must have nudged the jig while I was doing it or something. I've, I've obviously done something wrong here, and I've done so many of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. and every time you know the jig clamp down firmly, drill out the main pocket, do the two skinny holes to do the the, the fixings into the, the screw holes, and every time it's it's out of whack. Uh, and if you if you actually use those to fix the hinge down, uh, they're just out of whack enough that the, the countersink part and the hinge plate pulls them out of square. So it's actually, you know, it's, it's not very good in that regard. That said, I would actually recommend it because the bit is really good and the rest of it is really good. And I just use the hinge. I've, I've always just used the hinge itself. Yeah, same to square the hinge up against the door and use a self-centering drill bit yeah. to, to drill the holes out, which is, uh, a simple method. And you can do all of those in a, in a batch. So overall, I, th- I don't think it's a, a deal breaker for this particular jig, but it is very strange that they're, they're so far out of true like That's that. That's interesting. Uh, what's it like for getting the alignment of the 35 mil hole to the edge of the unit? What, what it gives you, it's very good. It gives you three, four, five and six mil right. indents on a little cam. There's just a little, a little twisty turny, put a screwdriver in a slot and, and turn the thing around. And, and that seems pretty good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I said, I, I like to have mine a little bit further inboard. I'd, I'd quite like a 7 mil option because that brings the edge of the door fully flush in line with the edge of the carcass then. Uh, and then I can bring them inboard if I need to. Whereas they, as it's set up with a 6 mil setting, there's always a millimetre, millimetre and a half of space between the edge of your door and the end of the cabinet, yeah. end of the carcass. And you know why they do that, because if you do a run, then the doors don't clash. But I'd like to have the option to, to have them start there, because there's there's a little bit more adjustment to bring the hinges inboard 
than there is to take them out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I prefer to have them starting flush and then bring them in if I if I need to. But uh, uh, yeah, other than that, no, that's you know, nitpicky niggling aside. It's very good. Yeah, I do. I, I do actually recommend it, even though the the you know the the fixing holes are in the wrong place. I, I use another method for doing that, but for putting the thirty five mil hole in the right place on the door, yeah, it's great. No problem with it at all. There are cheaper versions. Uh, I I may take a look at those. Uh, by other by other companies because um, this one is thirty thirty quid thirty two pounds something like that uh, but it seems quite well made and it's all very contained uh, there's a depth stop um, uh, a depth stop sort of collar thing on the bit itself so you can set the set the depth properly uh, and that locks on really well there's a little Allen key and there's a space for the Allen key to go under the body oh, okay. of the jig so it doesn't you don't lose it you know it's all it's all very contained um the only sort of slight niggle other niggle with it is that the obviously because the there's a sort of a shroud thing that the bit fits into that's got to be quite snug and it's some oddball proprietary size so when the bit goes blunt you do have to buy another craig bit and that is 22 quid or something right so, okay yeah that's the, the the consumable part of it is uh that's the razor blade part presumably it's sharpenable though you could you hopefully it's, it's a force yeah. bit so yeah i would think so yeah hopefully you wouldn't have to lay out too often on a on a new yeah. one i've had a chat with a couple of people on instagram and on twitter and they've said that uh you know, for for typical amateur hobby type use in mdf and softwoods they've had one for a couple of years and the bit's still going strong so you know it's 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 not a deal breaker but uh, it's one of those things that you just have to bear in mind that if you do want to keep using the jig going forwards then you have to have the official craig bit for it because it's one of the it's one of the few things that i still use my really terrible drill press for is is for right yeah well it's me too yeah I, f- I find just with the jig that i've got i can make very very precise you know down to half mil adjustments on the on the distance of the hole from the edge of the door yeah because i have found situations where for a particular brand of hinge that well there's quite big differences in terms of where that hole needs to go. And they never yeah. tell you where the hole needs to go. Oh, um, that's why I stick to one brand of hinge, mostly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if, you, if you're if you doing work where, I don't know, where maybe a customer's like damaged a door and you need to make a new yeah. door and you're just going to reuse their existing hinges or something or, well, whatever. But um, I, I have seen quite degrees of but even between manufacturers uh, on on the same manufacturer um i've seen somewhere for one particular style of hinge you you bring it in by however much and and then for another style of hinge say for example soft close versus non-soft close you would think it would still be exactly the same distance in and sometimes it's just sometimes it's not yeah not exactly the same and and that can be a that you can destroy your cabinet doors if you Get that in the wrong place. You can, you can. That's a very disappointing day if, yeah. if you do that. If you get that wrong, and there's not enough adjustment on the hinge. Yeah. So anyway, interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we'll, you, know, you don't want to badmouth manufacturers, but you know, this is absolutely happening on the hinge I've got uh, with the jig in place. You know, I can I can drill the, the big central hole and put the two little holes in and and they are misaligned they're not centered on the uh on, on the central big hole so uh, strange yeah, we'll see what happens with that one anyway that's that's coming out on friday i think uh and then i've got 
uh, I, I must do, uh, I have been very kindly loaned a Maffel Dewar Dowler, which I haven't barely touched since I received it. Um, uh, it's a it's a demo machine, and I'm fairly sure that the people who've learned it to me must want it back fairly soon. So it's to have a play and compare that to the Domino, of course, and the Lamello. So we'll we'll see how they uh, see how they turn out. That'll be an interesting one. I'd, uh, I enjoy. Did you watch um, Keith's video on his MFT, his homemade MFT? Yes, I did. Yeah. Shout out to Keith at Rag and Bone Brown. Uh, link to his video in the show notes below. Uh, he did a really good video all about making an MFT without using a bought jig and uh, I, I was just watching that earlier and I, I thought it was a really good video because I've done a uh, video about my assembly table and what I would change about it and I've made plans of how I would change the overall design of the assembly table to make it a bit more robust and um, just a few things but one thing that I didn't cover was cutting the holes in the MFT top because there's many ways of doing that, most of which involve buying an expensive jig. Well, there's some, there are some fairly cheap ones available uh, as as CNCs become, you know, proliferate and become more common. Yeah. Uh, there are some fairly cheap ones available. Or, or even just buy a replacement top and use that as a jig. To I've actually got a small MFT top that I bought way back. Well, I was gonna, I was going to ask you, have you, do you buy your MFT tops or do you make it? Or? Uh, I I have one that I bought that's ready to fit that I just, just haven't got around to doing yet. Um, it's the, I mean, they're, they're almost a commodity now. As I say, anybody with a big enough CNC is banging these out for, for relatively little money. So this is a complete ready-made yeah. top? I mean, 20, 25 quid, 30 quid. What, for the, for the whole for thing? For the whole top? Yep. yep. Yeah, I think you've got to be fairly keen to want... You must have to want to make one. You couldn't no. buy the MDF for that. You've got to want to make one. Um, wow, I didn't know they were that cheap. I, I thought you were going to say price conditioning. I would have spent 100 quid on one of those. Yeah, exactly. See, see now you, you won't pay for that nasty 45 quid one now, will you? Yeah. No, they're, they're literally 30 quid. Uh, literally, any, anybody with a big enough MF, MF, MFT, anybody with a big enough CNC uh, is generally banging these out very cheaply. In fact, some of the guys that I know, in fact, the, the bench dogs, Guy Ralph uh, has said that he, he was doing that for a while, and it, it just became a race to the bottom. And he's not doesn't get involved in that now. I was going to how can they be making any money on that? Because even if it's a, a machine uh, doing it, once once it's set up, it's just a question of shoving the the MDF in there and letting it run. It's uh, if you've got a big expensive machine like a car factory, you make it work oh, twenty four hours a day. I mean, even just the hassle of packaging it up. So it doesn't get damaged when it's yep. being shipped. It's not going to be the easiest thing to ship. Uh, yes, and, yes. Um, wow. Yeah. 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 If I see one for a hundred quid, I'll know the ripping us off definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Keith did a, a, a really good video on on literally doing the holes by hand, and he made his own jig. Yeah. It was interesting reading the comments on on the video, and I got so I had to bite my tongue not to reply. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to 
tell people to shut up. That's the worst, isn't it? When it's somebody else's video, you don't want to butt in there. But. I know, and but there was just so many people. Well, I saw a few comments saying, oh, he said he was going to do it without a jig, and the first thing he did was make a jig, and it's like, yeah, I think he meant without buying a jig. Yeah, <laughs> for goodness sake. Obviously, making a jig <laughs> is, is a thing that you would do for a project like this. But it was a very good video explaining an, an approach that you can take to make an MFT top just by making your own jig and with with just a just a drill and a you know hand uh, a hand drill and a and a an awl and a bit of careful measuring yeah using geometry yeah good stuff uh, yeah as he says it's it's almost certainly accurate enough for the sort of things he wants to make and and I think we can get a little bit obsessed about uh, squareness and degrees of squareness when in the stuff that we make, because certainly the stuff that I make is almost inevitably going into a distinctly unsquare and unplumb room. I think the the biggest thing that I've found where you have to be spot on, like absolutely you can't be out by as much as a hair. And I had a, a, a mitre saw, chop saw, like a sliding mitre. Mm. I'm not going to say the brand, but it was terrible. And... um it just couldn't cut square, no matter how many times I tried to readjust the fence. It, there was so much play on the sliding mitre of this uh, saw that it just it wouldn't cut square. And if you're trying to cut the rails and styles of doors mm. on a saw that isn't cutting the end of the rails and styles perfectly square, and then you're doing the glue up, if you follow that error around, by the time you get all the way around, you're five mil out. By the time you know, it's like the pieces yep. just don't yep. join up. Absolutely, you, you know yep. what I mean by that. Where you've yeah, I do. Um, and and I found that so frustrating. And I, and my and I went back to my old trusty Dewalt chop saw, and it's perfectly square. Never had a problem mm. with it. But it's part of the reason why I don't have a sliding mitre saw because it's it's one of the things. You obviously do it on your MFT. I do, yeah. I do. I cut the ends of the stars and rails. It's part of the reason why I haven't gone to a sliding mitre because I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced it would be accurate enough. And when when you're following around on those sort of cuts, you're either going to get joints that have a tiny tiny gap, which means that you're getting a bad joint, um, or it'll be out by the time you've gone worked your way around the the door. But yeah, other other than that, the, there's not a lot that has to be within a I'll keep it polite within a hairs <laughs> with, within a hairs yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah his his yeah. table looked great um and we'll we'll include a link in the show notes to to the way that he did his MFT top nice to see Keith working with some MDF as well yeah yeah, yeah. what what's your view <laughs> on the whole 96 mil spacing versus 100 mil spacing I, I thought that was quite an interesting um, one there's, there's, yeah, it's it's something that's come up before, and the the just, just to rewind slightly because a lot of people probably don't even know what an MFT is or what the hell we're talking about. So an MFT is a table with holes in. Basically, it's far more than that. How dare you? Says all the festival <laughs> fanatics. It's it's a a festival multifunction table. Yes, or MFT. It's a sort of modernish take on a on a workbench. It is not your granddad's workbench. It doesn't have a huge amount of mass. You're not going to hand plane on it or any of that sort of stuff. But it has a grid of holes along the top, which are at perfect right angles to each to each other. So they can be used to to square things against. You can use them to clamp things down with. Uh, and my 
MFT that I have has a drop down rail which sits exactly square so you can you know make perfectly square cuts on the MFT but the grid of holes are spaced at 96 millimeter centers and the only the logic to it as far as the hive mind can tell is that it's it's three times 32 and 32 more spacing was is the inch and a quarter spacing which are shelf pins refer to and the whole 32 millimeter system hangs around but as to why exactly it's 96 mil i I don't really know it but it is three times 32 yeah because after i've always thought if i was making my own i would have done it on the on the 96 mil space yeah um and it wasn't until keith basically just said well i'm not doing that it's a ridiculous number let's do it at 100 mil and it's like yeah it's a it's a valid point why do it at 96 I, i couldn't think of any any kind of dog system or any rails that you would be putting in where having the spacing not at 96 would cause a problem. I, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, unless you've got, for example, the the bench dogs that I talked about a while back, do a, a fence dog where you can attach a fence to a couple of dogs that, that lock into the, the hole spacing, unless you wanted to take that and move it to another yeah. MFT top where the whole spacing wouldn't match. But then, you know, if, if it's the one you have, then it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Because it's always adjustable yeah. anyway, isn't it? You could, exactly. So exactly. It's an interesting one. If anyone knows, please let us know. Or if anyone can think of a situation where the 96, not using 96 mil would cause a problem, uh, do, do please let us know because I'm struggling to think of anything. And uh, and I thought of, of anyone who would know it would be you. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's as far as I can tell, it's just one of those things that uh, has has been a hang on uh, from the thirty two millimeter spacing, which apparently is because the thirty two mil spacing is because that was the the largest space you could have between holes on a particular engineering type of boring thing way back in the nineteen twenties. Is it? that right? Uh, there, there was a whole. I'll, I'll try. Yeah, I'll try and dig it out because there was a whole thread on the festival owners group about this years and years and years ago, um, and uh, and that came up in the conversation from somebody with more of an engineering background. Because that all fits in with the spacing of screws on um, Euro hinges as well, doesn't it? Yep, that's right. Yeah. What, what is it we do for a living again? <laughs> Make videos. <laughs> Complain about YouTube. That's that's mainly that's what, what we I do, do for a living. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I had a fun week last week. Um, I went out to me and Mrs. Ten Minutes went out to the Victoria and Albert Museum uh, of an evening uh, to have a uh, to to uh, in the audience of a talk about a celebration of British craftsmanship. Oh wow! Which was very interesting. Uh, they had it's. I'm going to blank on the name of the people who. Uh, organised it now. Quest, I think the Queen Elizabeth something trust. Um, anyway, they they give certain amounts of money out as bursaries, as grants for craftsmen to pursue their craft. They, it's a it's a one year deal. The maximum is eighteen thousand pounds, and the minimum is like a couple of grand or something. Uh, and they have, I think, forty people a year who they help like this. And they had a a, a stone carver. A woodcarver, a guy who was a ceramicist and also runs a gallery, and a woman who did um, 
decorative painting, but sort of Elizabethan, using original sort of Elizabethan techniques to do uh, interior painting. It was fascinating, really, really interesting. Uh, a very, very well scripted, uh, sorry, not scripted, very well, um, uh, the guy who compared it kept it all moving along very well. And I'm now going to blank completely on the guy's name as well. Jonathan Foyles, I think he is, uh, arts correspondent for the Financial Times and the Times. And it was just a really good, really nice evening. Um, what, was it a Q&A type thing or what? what was uh, it? Not really. It was just a sort of open table discussion. They they gave their things and they had a little bit of speech. And then at the end, there was a, you know, they threw the, threw the floor open to some questions from, from people. Uh, it was just generally really interesting. And I've followed a couple of, couple of the people on Instagram. I'll, I'll pop one of their uh, things in uh, the show notes. And this girl, Zoe Whitaker, I think. Oh, I'm going to blank now, aren't I? Oh, oh. Give me a sec. Uh, Zoe Wilson. Uh, so this uh, woman, Zoe, young, young woman, Zoe, Zoe Wilson, uh, produces the most extraordinary stone carvings. I'm going to sh- hold this up to my webcam for you to see. Which, where is it? It's there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. These things look like they look like they've been they look like triangles that have been sort of cut out and pasted on but actually carved and these things aren't big. I asked her whether there was a there was a glass of wine and a bit of chat afterwards. And I asked her because they showed one of these things on on a screen behind us. I wanted to get an idea of the scale of it because obviously something something that's four foot across you can do some quite fine work on it. She said no, it's about, you know, dinner plate size and they incredibly intricate work on What are they made of? Thing. Uh, stone. What uh, sort of stone? I, I didn't ask right. in too much detail. <laughs> the certain stuff with stone and on this trip that we're doing, uh, one of the workshops was a, a stone carving op- option. But I'm I'm not doing that. I, I I was very tempted, but I quite fancied doing the rock climbing. <laughs> but um, I, I always think there's certain aspects of stone carving that it, it must be magic. Well, she was saying it's very it's very analytical. It's very it's obviously very precise, but my wife was was chatting to her about um, quilting and that repetitive sort of pattern, yeah, and, and the the precision and the accuracy that you need for that uh, have you know similar uh, similar need for that sort of levels of precision and accuracy. Yeah, fascinating. Anyway, yeah, really, really interesting, uh, interesting evening. Really, really nice evening. For these princely sum of fifteen quid or whatever it was, and a, That's a bargain, free glass of thin wine. That's fantastic. And also going down, going in the VNA in the evening, when uh, to get to the lecture theatre, you have to go round the back and th- you know through all the little side halls and things. Are really, really interesting to do. Yeah, yeah, really good fun. And haven't you been away at uh, Essex again, Nora? I went out to Essex again. Yes, that was the other thing at the at the weekend. Uh, the I did a, a little video on the. Uh, hardwood offcuts shop uh which is out in essex and while i was there i got, got invited along one of the guys who organized the shindig uh they were they were getting a little sort of essex makers meet up together and very kindly invited me along i went to that shot a little bit of video and then they this was this uh, this happens at the last saturday in every month they're trying to get this as a regular thing uh essex makers on uh, Instagram. We'll put links to all the all the gubbins yeah. uh, down in the show notes. And yeah, we, I, I popped out there. I wasn't sure if I was going to make it or not, but in the end, uh, I had time. It's quite a, it's quite a 
bit of a schlep for me. I can get there fairly easily, but it takes about twice, almost three times as long to get back just because of the way the, the time of day and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing a, a friend of the show, Paul Cunningham, Cunningham's Custom Creations, has organized the, the, a challenge where uh, Tim, the owner of the Hardwood Offcuts shop store, put a pallet of you know, sizable offcuts together and you pay 15 quid, you get to choose three pieces and you're going to make something out of it. Right. Uh, so I'm going to, I think I'm fairly sure I'm going to turn mine into sawdust and make some MDF, but uh, I, I <laughs> saw you bonfire wood in your workshop. Yeah. Three, <laughs> three lumps of, uh, three lumps of hard, a lot of hardwood for 15 quid. I've got to yeah, say, yeah. Uh, although one of them has, has gone distinctly sort of curved <laughs> since I've brought it back into well, the, it's because your workshop's so hot. That's why exactly the kiln dried on my workshop. That's what happens when you take it into a tropical environment yeah i'm fairly sure what you do and this is a trick for all your listeners out there right you just spray water on one side of it and then you just lean it against a against a bench and it'll straighten right out and it's sorted it works works with plasterboard anyway i don't know if it uh, if it'll work yeah. with hardwood anyway we'll give that a try but uh, yes it's uh, it's going to be fun I'll, I, I again i'm not sure i'll be able to actually make it to the next one which is when they'll do the when when everybody gets to to take their stuff along and show their show their uh, work off but uh, I'll try and get something together. Oh, for fantastic! Yeah. Anyway, good, good fun. Good, good to uh, good to go there, and, and good to have a nice chat with people. Awesome stuff. Uh, it's a very very sociable uh, little outfit. And uh, yes, if you're if you're in the area at all, pop along to the next one. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll we'll put all the details down in the uh, in the show notes. Yeah, good fun. Tremendous stuff. Tremendous. Well, we should probably wrap it up for um, today on the main show and head over to the um, after show. And have a bit of a. Yeah. Is there anyone else you've been watching? Or a um, couple of things on YouTube actually that I've, I've started watching recently. Um, I've one one again completely unrelated to, to woodworking or sort of tangentially. One that I've been following for a while is Never Too Small. Uh, Never Too Small is an Australian channel which looks at very small dwellings uh, mostly apartments but really tiny homes and not the tiny homes like you get in america where they build them on the back of a wagon but just you know often quite old 60s or 70s buildings apartment buildings that have were built with studio apartments in so little one room flats and it's fascinating to see almost always you know architect designed yeah but it's fascinating to see the sort of joinery and cabinetry that goes into these things to actually make the space work because some of these things some of these spaces are smaller than our workshops you know 25 30 square meters i can do that now because it's roughly 10 yeah, times yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh 250 square feet um so fascinating uh some some really good ones are those so yeah ne- never too small uh, and the other guy that i've been watching is uh, a guy called Musty One, uh, M-U-S-T-I-E, and then numeral one. He's an extremely skilled mechanic. I don't know what he does for a living or whatever, but he, he just finds, you know, wrecks in barns right, and right. gets them working, gets them running. Um, or he picks up a book of you know, a forklift truck from a yard sale and, and gets it working. I mean, it's just fascinating. Uh, really, really, in terms of YouTube, all the wrong things. He's just doing it on his phone. It's not, doesn't look like it's edited. It's all, he does a, a little piece to camera now and then. They're really long and they're, they're just fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. If you're interested in that kind of thing, it's just great. 
A really, really good channel. Great stuff. He's just moved to a new workshop, and it's massive. <laughs> he was working out of a double garage, which uh, is, you know, a little, a little different to our sort of double garages. That's a luxury. Yeah, absolutely. But he's just moved to a new, a new workspace. It's absolutely massive. Absolutely yeah, huge. Yeah. Dream shop. Yeah. Oh, I'll definitely check that one out. We'll include links to all of those in the show notes below. Mm. So let's do a few Patreon shout-outs. We've got our uh, random list of... We have our random list. Uh, shall I go first? Go for it. Okay. Well, I'd like to say thank you very much to our wonderful Patreon supporters, but especially Peter Edwards, uh, David Chisnell, Gareth Hopkins, Ryan Hunt, Stephen Broadbent, Wilson Chan, uh, Paul at Cunningham's Custom Creations, George Hadley, James Hewitt, and Phil Wilson. And a massive thank you to Darren McEverly, Michael Stringer, Casper van der Berg, Jay Wong, Ben Campbell at the Colonel Collective, Jacek Sadlon, Brendan at the Shades Workshop, Andrew Cartledge, Jamie and Steve Avery. Uh, thank you very much indeed. You can support the show, of course, uh, by going over to patreon.com forward slash measuring up podcast. And thank you so much to everybody who does that. Uh, methods of getting hold of us, getting us uh, feedback. Uh, you can obviously get through to us at measuring up PC on Twitter or at measuring up podcast on Instagram. And of course, uh, Patreon supporters also have Patreon messaging to get hold of us as well. Andy, where can people find you? You can find me, Gosforth Handyman, on YouTube and Gosforth Handyman on Instagram and Gosforth Andy on Twitter if you want to drop me a note via Twitter. And where do we find you, Peter? I am at 10 Minute Workshop on Instagram, at 10 Minute uh, Shop on Twitter, uh, 10 Minute Workshop.tv on YouTube. Uh, and of course, you can always uh, use the uh, email link contact at measuringupodcast.com or use the uh, web form, uh, contact form on the website for getting a hold of us as well. Uh, if you've got time, then please do take a minute to review and rate the show on iTunes. It really does help uh, push us further up the stack on iTunes. And obviously, we want to be uh, as visible as possible uh, to as many people as possible. So if you can do that, that'd be really helpful. We have over 200 five star reviews on iTunes now, and uh, we'd like some more. Yeah, let's see what we can push it to 300 this series. Uh, that, that would be awesome. That'd be, that would be fantastic. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Thank you once again, everyone, for listening. You can come and join us now over on the After Show if you follow us on Patreon. Just uh, if, if you don't already follow us on Patreon, um, you guys are literally helping to keep the show on the road. We don't do sponsorships on this show, and it is the Patreon side of things that keeps the show going so thank you to everyone who follows us over there and you can now join us on the after show on there as well we'll see you there take care bye bye